Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children and anarchists of all ages, welcome to the Dark World Reapers United States of Anarchy podcast. Who am I? I'm the man without a plan, the Dark Lord himself, Nightmare King, unapologetic truths and harsh for facts. Looking for celebrity gossip, this is not the podcast for you. This podcast is for real topics, real situations, for real people, and occasionally we have fun over here. Do not like what I have to say. Well, like my slogan, if you're offended, I mend it, I meant it. And, as well, if you don't like what I have to say, two words, don't listen. Boycott my podcast, boycott my social media, boycott anything that has my name attached to it. It's that simple, people. Nobody likes a little Mr. or Mrs. Internet Gangster. Now, here we are again. We are doing our TV, movie, video game, and trailer toy reviews, and we have a lot to cover. And boy, we have a lot to look forward to. So buckle up and hold on tight. Let's get into it. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. So in this segment, I wanted to review a movie that I stumbled across on Netflix called Swallow. The story takes place in Nigeria, and it's about a young lady who gets involved in the drug trade. Now, the story takes place in the late 1980s, 1985, 1988. And the young lady's name, I can't pronounce. But she goes home to her mother, and it starts off with, like, her going home to her mother, back to her village where she comes from. And she's been through hell, obviously. And her mother asked her what happened. So she tells her that she's been living in the big city. She had a nice office job. She had a friend named Rose who was sexually assaulted by her boss and got fired because she turned around and slapped him, which she deserved, I might add. But that wasn't shown on camera. So Rose gets involved somehow through a mutual acquaintance, quote, AKA ex-boyfriend, but they remained friends and in contact. And she met up with this drug, at the time, she didn't know that he sold drugs, but if you know how, if you know the look, if you know the look and how they carry themselves, you'd be like, yeah, this guy sells drugs or he does something illegal. It's a shame that I have to stereotype people, but if you know what to look for, you know. But it was a it was a good movie. It talked about how drug smuggling in the late 80s, early 90s worked. And obviously, like the name of the movie is Swallow, so I don't think I have to tell you what was go what it was about, the drug mules. Unfortunately, she found out, her friend found out, that Rose was doing this. Originally, Rose wouldn't do it. She wouldn't be involved in that. But it's a good watch. I recommend you showing it to your kids. There's some scenes that are really difficult to look at, but it has a strong message. It has a strong message, and it has... And it talks about everyday real life. That's what I that's what I appreciate about appreciate about movies like that. Yes, I enjoy superhero films and um, fantasy um, films, but occasionally I like to watch things that are relatable and happen every day. Things that I can learn from. So that's my review. Oh yeah, I give the movie Swallow a ten out of ten because it wasn't over the top. 
it was very realistic. And from what I've watched by seeing, watching Nollywood films, it's very accurate to the African culture. And it talked, and it showed certain things. It showed, you know, how it indirectly talked about the Me Too movement. And not really the Me Too movement per se, but how sexual harassment was viewed in the 80s. It wasn't something that was, it was something that was swept under the rug consistently. But the main character did stand up for herself and she got justice for herself, thank God. But uh, I give the movie Swallow a 10 out of 10. I recommend it to anyone. So when I come back, when we come back, I am going to review the long anticipated Book of Boba Fett. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. So in this segment, I am going to go over the first few episodes of the much-anticipated Disney's Book of Boba Fett. And wow, was I... I am happy with it. I'm satisfied with it. Now, quick backstory on Boba Fett. For those of you who do not know this little fact of him, let's rewind the clocks back to when the original Star Wars trilogy came out. Boba Fett's uniform was originally supposed to be white, but they added color in it. What they did was they took a gray jumpsuit and added his Mandalorian, what we now know as Mandalorian armor to it. Now, the actor who is currently playing Boba Fett, who is the original actor who played the now legendary Jango Fett, because of the lore of the storyline, they got him, they remastered the Star Wars universe for him to do the voiceover. Now, into the character of Boba Fett. Boba Fett originally appeared in The Empire Strikes Back. His backstory is, he is supposed to be the son of legendary Jango Fett. But, Jango Fett is a legendary Mandalorian bounty hunter who built his reputation on, guess what? Killing Jedi. So, the Kaminos on the, the Kaminos commissioned, were commissioned to make a clone army for the Jedi to fight during the Clone Wars. So, they used Jango Fett's DNA as the template. Jango took the payment, he took the original payment, and he wanted a clone for himself to raise as his own that aged slower. This clone, guess who he was? Boba Fett. So, the last time we saw Boba Fett prior was on the sands of, the sands, um, basically falling into the mouth of that sand creature. Well, he survived that, and it showed how he survived. Now, we first see, we pick up where Boba Fett is in a rejuvenating tank and he's woken up and he puts on his Mandalorian armor so he first came back into the picture during the Mandalorian storyline the storyline season two of the Mandalorian where he reclaimed his armor but it picks up to show where he was all this time between Return of the Jedi and the trilogy that we're not even going to get into because so many people are upset with it. Eh, it didn't mean I personally had my personal issues with it, but with the um, the new trilogy. But 
that's neither here nor there. We're talking about Boba Fett, one of the OG Star Wars characters. So apparently, he was rescued and held captive by the Sand People until he proved his worth and they accepted him as one of their own. He taught them how to ride the speeder bikes and all of that. So, he went and had a meeting with the Pikes to tell them that if you want to move your spices and whatnot, you're going to have to pay the Sand People, the Sand People tribe, a tribute. Because it's their land and you're just passing through, you got to pay a toll. He goes back home, the Sand People are wiped out. So he did get revenge for them because, well, that's Boba Fett, the best bounty hunter in the galaxy since his dad passed. There's only one other bounty hunter that is a little bit better than him in terms of prowess and fighting skill, but I'm waiting to see if he gets a live action um, appearance because we've seen him throughout Clone Wars, we've seen him, in, he made an appearance in the Bad Batch. And it's rumored the dent that is in Boba Fett's helmet, he's the one that shot it. So I want to see if that character makes an appearance. So I'm not even going to bring him up yet. So the story picks up with Boba Fett becoming the new daimyo of Tatooine. He takes up, he took the throne that Jabba the Hutt used to sit on. And that happened at the end of season two of The Mandalorian. Keep that in mind. Keep the word Mandalorian in mind, ladies and gentlemen. So he's being offered tributes from all the businesses. And two of those little henchmen piggy people, green piggy people, that used to work for Jabba the Hutt, work for him now. And I think it's cool. So he goes to meet with the mayor to let him know that, look, I'm the one that runs things now. And the classic line that I like is, he says, I'm not going to rule with fear. I'm going to rule with respect. Respect goes a long goes get you a lot further than ruling people with fear because sooner or later you're going to become hated. And Boba Fett understands this because he used to work for someone that was feared and hated Jabba the Hutt. So he hires the assassin that we met that we were introduced to in season two of the mandalorian and it shows why she's so loyal to him because he saved her life so and it's shown that she was enhanced by with cybernetics like a lot of people come to find out his first day in the town they made an attempt on his life and it was revealed that it was the mayor that did it so when the mayor was confronted, apparently the mayor revealed that someone else put him to task. Who was it? The cousins of, J of Jabba the Hutt, who are twins, brother and sister. And who pops up next to him? A character that I have been waiting to not only become a canon character, but to see him live action. Black Chrysarian, a.k.a. Krister. He's a Wookiee. He's a black Wookiee. Yeah, I know. But he's just like... He's just like Chewbacca. In fact, him and Chewbacca fought in the comics. He's a bounty hunter 
just like Boba Fett. The two of them used to be partners. They used to work together because they worked with, they worked for Jabba the Hutt. And on top of that, they did some wet work for guess who? Everyone's favorite Dark Lord, Darth Vader. Now, quick backstory on Black Kester. Um, Karrison, sorry. He's a Wookiee, but he was kicked out of the Wookiee tribe because he violated one of their rules, which I didn't even know was a rule. He popped his claws during a fight, and apparently that is forbidden. So he was cast out and sold into slavery and forced to be a gladiator. And he became one of the best gladiators in the universe. People came from all over to watch him rip people apart. And he was modified against his will to have brass knuckles that have electrical shock surgically onto his knuckles. So the people that did it, he has a lot of animosity towards them. And the scar above his left eye apparently was put there by a legendary Jedi who's supposed to get his own show later on sometime in the near future, which we're all waiting for because we all love this character. So the last episode, the second to last episode, it looks like Boba Fett has to go to war with the same people who wiped out the sand tribe that he was adopted into, the Pikes. So he's telling his friend, like, look, we're going to need muscle because we really don't have the army. We really don't have an army to back down the Pikes. But quick side note, he met up with some ragtag team of kids who were robbing people, and he hired them, so they're his muscle. And they saved his life during when Black Kester was tasked to kill Boba Fett on behalf of the Huts. Which, fortunately for Boba Fett, he was unsuccessful. Because the guy didn't use his blaster. And they had a warm time taking him down. So Boba Fett, as a peace offering from the Huts, got a rancor. Now, people... Now, for those of you who remember the original trilogy, sorry, Jabba the Hutt was known for feeding people to the Rancor. The only person that was fed to the Rancor but survived was Luke Skywalker. So, they gave him a baby Rancor. And I'm like, what? That's a baby? I don't want to see what an adult looks like. And Danny Trejo made a cameo appearance and he's the trainer for the Rancor. And apparently, Rancors, whoever, when they open their eyes, whoever they see first, that is who they are loyal to. So, he wanted the trainer to teach him how to ride the Rancor. Whew. So, back to the war with the Pikes. The impending war with the Pikes. We don't know if it's going to happen. His assassin says, we have enough money in the catch to hire muscle. Like, we can hire... Like, you can hire people. You just have to know where to look. And guess who we see? The Mandalorian himself. Mando. And of course, he's on a mission. Handling bounties as per the norm. And he still has the Black Saber. Now, if you remember, he beat the Imperial guy for the Black Saber. So that means he is the ruler of Mandalore according to the lore of Mandalorians, Mandalorian lore. 
So he goes and meets back with the forger and the heavy-duty guy. But for some reason, he has a hard time using the black saber. And she gives him the history of the black, the, the black lightsaber. And apparently, the guy who made it was not only a Mandalorian, but he was a Jedi as well. So this dude Mando don't know how to lie. Because he was challenged for the black saber. And he won. Like, he made quick work out of that dude. And she asked him, she asked both of them, have your, has your helmet ever been removed or have you removed your helmet? Mr. Heavy said, no. Mando said the opposite. So she said, you're not a Mandalorian. You can't call yourself a Mandalorian anymore. You have to go away. And it's like, wait a minute. According to you, but she lives by the old school laws of the Mandalorians. Because when we ran into Bo-Katan and her squad, she said that's more of a choice. Like, that tribe are religious zealots. So, he was hired by the assassin, I can't remember her name, sorry people, to come help, help out fight, help Boba Fett, and fight the Pikes. And he said, sure, but first I want to check on a little friend of mine. So that, you know who he's going to go look for, people. Baby Yoda. So I'm liking the book of Boba Fett. I'm looking forward to the next episode. So in the next, when we come back in the next segment, I am going to go over a show that I've taken a liking to. I'm going to review everything that's happened up until the season finale of Our Kind of People. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. So I am going to review a show that I recently got turned on to and I completed the entire season. It was available. It's available on Fox. You can watch it on Fox now. It's called Our Kind of People. And let me start by saying this show was refreshing to see because it showed black people being successful without having to be entertainers or just a celebrity or doing tomfoolery or being involved in the drug trade so it was created by Karen Fisk and Wendy Calhoun and the story takes place at a at a store called at a, in a place called Oak Bluffs on a on Martha's Vineyard and it's a historical stronghold where rich and powerful black people, black elite had um, come to spend their summer for 50 years over and over and over. So now that we understand what type of people we're dealing with, we're introduced to main character Angela Vaughn and her daughter, Nikki, Nikki Vaughn and her aunt Patricia, a.k.a. Piggy. Now, Yaya, I mean, um, Angela Vaughn is played by Yaya DaCosta. Now, that name should sound familiar because she was once a contestant on America's Top Model. In fact, she was one of my top three picks to win. And dang, she look as good as ever. <laughs> so she's the main character that has come to the bluffs to basically... Um, 
promote get involved in a program that would help push her her homegrown business to the next level called um mother eves named after her mother who did hair care products now one thing i loved about the show all kind of people it showed black women particularly wearing their natural hair now that's not something you see often on shows mainstream shows in this day and age you usually see if you see a woman wearing a particular a woman of color wearing a particular hairstyle it's either an afro just like the basic afro or dreads or box braids or cornrows so this was refreshing to see because yaya her hairstyles were giving me life but then again what do you expect from a person who was on america's next top model so of course she's gonna come through with that and her character is a hair hairstylist so she's got to be bringing the 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 goods so she comes to this to the na- to this neighborhood because she inherit because her mother passed and she inherited a business from her like a piece of property <coughs> and she finds out that her mother through a humiliating tactic she find out that her mother was arrested for a drug charge when come to find out she was framed and it also was revealed that one of the main characters aka the pro the antagonist of one of the antagonists of the story is her father um the main character's name is teddy franklin of franklin holdings now he's the big boss he's the head honcho he's played by jor by joe morton you've seen him on a lot of shows he's like he's famous for his role in the terminator judgment day he was the one that held the bomb and he helped put bring skynet online as well as a, a lot of familiar faces were on this show and it was and it was really good to watch i enjoyed it and you saw the dynamic of the family now it kind of reminded me of dynasty but it didn't go that route and the character of teddy franklin was a complicated man because angela's character was a product of an affair because obviously teddy franklin was teddy franklin was married and he already had a daughter by the name of leah franklin dupont now leah is basically like father like daughter he raised her as a you could say she has sociopathic tendencies and she's married to her husband raymond raymond dupont played by the heartthrob and legendary morris chestnut and they have two children twins quincy dupont and lauren dupont now lauren dupont she's a she's a piece of work a real piece of work ladies and gentlemen but nothing compared to the grandmother on um, Olivia Olivia Stunden Tupac, played by L. Scott Caldwin. That woman was a real piece of work. So they have this fraternity, this sister fraternity, which is basically like a secret society for successful black women, and they help each other. What's yours is mine, what's mine is yours. 
kind of thing. And there was like a trial period where they had to like do like little tedious tasks to show that they could be a part of this society. And it wasn't unsettling because you have rich people that come from Caucasian community that participate in these same kind of uh, fraternities of rich of like the upper class elite. And I said this once and I said it again. I hate the fact that the word elite is attached to people who just have money, who are just rich. If you take that money away from them and I throw them in an Amazonian jungle or somewhere where they don't have access to that money and they have to start from the bottom, will they be that same quote unquote elite? Probably not. But moving on. So Angela finds out that her, that who her dad really is, and she's trying to uncover the mystery shrouding her, her mother's disgrace out of the bluffs. Her mother was a maid in the Franklin household, and come to find, as I said, a part of an affair. She's the product of an affair. And that's not the only secret that was told. Notice how I mentioned Angela had a daughter. Well, Angela, the child's father, Nate Robinson, was in jail for 17 years for a crime he didn't commit. So after Mr. Franklin got used to Angela and decided to bring her into the fold instead of making her an enemy, he decided to get her husband, get her ex out of prison. Which complicates things because she meets someone named Tyreek Chamberlain. Now, he is the son of Franklin's security, former security guard. And that guy conveniently committed suicide. Hint, hint. Basically, these people got more secrets than the grave. Which brings me to Angela's aunt Peggy. Come to find out that she was on drugs and she thought she killed someone not knowing that that person was alive the whole time and Franklin, Teddy Franklin paid him to go away and hide and simultaneously Franklin has taken over Raymond DuPont's business Darwin so it's a great show and the season finale was like whoa because after everything was exposed and Franklin basically and Teddy spilled his guts about what really happened to his brother because for a while we thought that his brother he killed his brother when it wasn't true in fact his brother confronted him about a business dealing that Franklin Teddy was involved that he didn't like because his brother was firmly against drugs drug sale, drug use, all that. And that was his stance. And Frank and Teddy loved his brother. Like he loved his brother like a brother, like he would do anything for him. His wife, who was still upset about the affair, pulled a gun and tried to kill him. Missed and shot his brother in the head. So Teddy Franklin covered it up. And that's what basically made his mother um Leia's mother have a psychotic break because Leia's mom and Eve Vaughn, Angela's mother, were friends. So yeah, that wouldn't drive anyone over the edge, but come on. 
it was a good show. It was really a good show. It's a really good show. I recommend it. And it talks about education. It talks about, you know, generational wealth. And it shows what happens when you keep secrets. Sooner or later, one way or another, it's going to come out. So, it's on most streaming services. So, check out Our Kind of People. When we come back, I'm going to go over some trailers. And we're back. So, let's get into some trailer and entertainment news. So, Paramount just dropped that in March, we are getting a Halo series. That's right, people. We are going to see a live-action Master Chief. So all you people who are fans of the first-person shooter will get to see that. I'm looking forward to it. I wonder who that's going to have playing Master Chief. Are they going to do like the same thing with the Mandalorian, never having to take off the helmet? Let's see what happens. So we're going to get... Halo. We're getting a Halo series and it will be streaming on the Paramount Plus streaming service. So if you don't have that streaming service, I'd look into it or find a way to watch it. So, part two of the most recent iteration of Mortal Kombat begin, has begin, is beginning to film and production is underway. So, the movie ended with them alluding to the tournament and Johnny Cage. So who is going to portray Johnny Cage? Now a lot of people are campaigning and signing petitions, including myself. We want to see WWE superstar The Miz portray Johnny Cage. Now he would have to get some basic martial arts training and he would have to be able to do the split punch. And he would have to tone up a bit more. But outside of that, he is he is Johnny Cage. He is Johnny Cage. If you look at the character of The Miz, he is Johnny Cage. All he needs is to tone up. So, there's that, people. Now, word on the street in terms of Hasbro, we just got a, we just got a price raise last year. So, this year, we're going to get another price raise. So, now a, a basic Marvel Legends action figure and a Star Wars Black Series action figure goes for $22.99 retail. So, that's basically, that's basically $23 and change for those of you who don't understand how the pricing works. So, now they're saying they're going to raise that. They're going to jump a whole $3. You get, you're right, people, from, 20, from $22.99. To twenty four to twenty four ninety nine. That's right, twenty five bucks a pop, ladies and gentlemen. So, collectors, what are we going? What y'all gonna do? Because y'all gonna be broke. You guys are gonna be broke playing with with messing with Hasbro. Because they are putting out, they're putting out quality stuff. They dropped the new GI Joes for this seat for. This year, the first three of the new wave, we saw the retro Storm Shadow. The Storm Shadow we should have got in the first wave, the first time around. But hey, better late than never. Not complaining, eh? We, we got that Storm Shadow. 
we're getting um, Outback, and they're making him an older gentleman, but in the cartoon, he was a redhead. But okay, we'll take it how we can get it. And we are getting, and we are getting for the first time in the lineup, one of my personal favorite G.I. Joes, Spirit Iron Knight. Now, I like how he looks, and they're keeping it very close to the cartoon design. So I'm interested to see how, how that's going to come out. And they've also dropped, uh, Marvel, uh, Hasbro also have finally released the line for the Doctor Strange 2 movie. And once the trailer comes out, I will review that. Doctor Strange 2, Multiverse of Madness, which is supposed to happen directly after Spider-Man No Way Home. So from what, see, from what I've seen, we know what to expect and who is going to appear. So that's that, ladies and gentlemen. When we come back, we're going to review what I could not re wait to review for a while. The last three episodes of Power Book 2 Ghost. Oh my God. And we're back. So in this segment, we are going to go over Power Book 2 Ghost. And boy, so much has happened. So much has been revealed. And I'm looking forward to the season finale. But let's get into it. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So if you have not watched episodes 7, 8, and 9, stop listening to this. Do skip over this part of the podcast and then come back to it. Okay, you've been warned. So, the last episode, the last episode we watched before the break, Tariq landed himself in prison via being set up by, by Kane Tejada. Simultaneously, the big boss himself, Lorenzo Tejada, got out of jail. And everyone seems to be happy except Monet. Because Mo the reason for that is Monet just basically told um, Mecca, a.k.a. Dante Cross that she would accept him and rekindle their love affair that happened when they were kids. And, whew, so much has gone down. We're going to get to Mr. Mr. Um, Mecca in a second. So, Lorenzo basically makes it clear that he's going to restructure how the family is going to be ran. And Lorenzo is a one cool customer. Like, he plays it cool. I'm not even going to front and I want to be like him when I grow up, minus the drug selling. But, <laughs> but like, he's one cool customer. So, he basically tells Monet, like, yeah, you're done in the streets. My wife is not going to be taking those risks anymore. The same thing that Mecca said. So, it goes to show you, gentlemen, that no real man is going to put his woman in the line of fire when he can step up and do that. But she's a little annoyed and said, oh, we strategized together. And he said, yeah, when I was locked up, but I'm home now. So this is how it's going to go. And she's clearly not happy about it, but she ain't got a choice but to ride with it. So he basically tells her, you know, Drew is the one that's going to be by my side. He's going to, he's the one, as he calls him. He said, Kane. Whether they love him, whether they fear or respect him, he'll be fine. Diana does not belong on the corner. She belongs in a boardroom or and or a classroom. 
basically alluding to the fact that he plans on setting up a legitimate business and he's going to put Diana there to oversee it, even though he did not say it. So he puts pressure on Kane to introduce him to the Kinect. And guess who's the Kinect? Mecca, a.k.a. Dante. And Dante at first makes it clear he does not want to meet with him. And he's basically been playing puppet master with Kane this whole time and teaching him how to move strategically because we all know Kane's head is full of sawdust that boy don't think like that's his biggest weakness he's not a thinker simultaneously Tariq is in jail molding over how he ended up in this position and still processing the letter the letter his late father Ghost ironically his name is Ghost now left for him should he ever be arrested I knew you would end up here, little N-word, right where you belong. Man, if I got a letter like that, I'd be pissed. So guess who he visualizes? He sees the ghost of his one-time mentor and friend and pseudo-father figure, Kanan Stark, played by 50 Cent. And he helped him to put together who set him up. So he deduced, because this was said it was like, Okay, Kane is not a thinker. Tariq said he's like, Kane is not a thinker. So, Kanan told him. So, who told him? Who was telling? Who, so, who's telling him what to do? Who was telling you what to do? So, automatically, he talked about his mother. He automatically thought about his mother and the thought of Monet. So, it's like Monet set him up. So, he's in his cell ranting. I got bullets for Monet, I got bullets for Kane, I got bullets for the whole Tejada family, and he's in the prison. Like, don't you know that these cells are bugged, so you shouldn't be saying things like that aloud? So he arranges to get out on bail, and I found out that you are, if you are up for murder and a police officer is one of the victims, bail is automatically denied. I did not even, I didn't even know that. But because he spoke to Councilman Tate, the underhanded Councilman Tate, and he basically said, okay, you get me what I want, and I get you what you, and I help you get out of here. So basically, Councilman Tate, the only reason he was up at the campus, because he was there looking for dirt on his um, political rival, Sweeney. Sweeney happened to be good friends with... Um, the parents of Brayden. And guess who's friends with Brayden? Tariq. So, through wheeling and dealing, they get out, he gets out on bail, but he's got to wear the low jack ankle monitor. So, simultaneously, Lorenzo decides that the Tejada family is no longer doing business with Tariq. So, he finally gets to meet the Kinect. Your baby father and your husband meet. And the Connect says, okay, I'm going to give you all my work exclusively. So simultaneously, he had a welcome home party in the beginning of episode eight. And everyone seemed to be happy except Monet. And Lorenzo is singing Diana's praises for getting him out of jail, which he should because she maneuvered that well. Now, Diana, baby girl, my girl, you know you signed your death warrant, right? With that, 
Let's talk about the dinner scene. I can't wait. The dinner scene. Oh my God. Everybody's business came out. The only two innocent people sitting at that table were Zeke and Lorenzo, even though he's not really all that innocent. But that's another story. So before that happened, Monet confronted Diana in the bathroom and asked her, how come you didn't tell me your dad was getting out of jail? And she said, daddy told me not to say anything, which was BS, which was a crock of BS. But we know Diana and Monet had been, you know, at odds for a little bit because she felt that Monet felt that she could not trust Diana because Diana kept running to go tell Lorenzo what's what, what's going on. So Monet did not like that one bit. So Monet revealed to her, he's like, but wait a minute, I killed a man over that money you took. I killed somebody for that money. Now, if I could have been a little Jimmy Cricket conch on her shoulder, I'd have told Diana, don't answer that. Don't answer that. Don't play yourself. Never you ever answer a black woman with attitude if you are a teenager living under her roof. It is not going to end well for you. And it didn't end well for Diana. Because her response was, I didn't tell you to do that. I never seen somebody get yoked up so fast. Gave me flashbacks to my childhood for talking reckless. Whew. So, Tariq is on Lojack. And when he gets back from court, him and Brayden have a drag out cuss out. Which was deserved. And Brayton basically told him the truth. He's like, yeah, you chose this lifestyle just like I did. Your family comes from money just like me. So here comes the original snake in the grass, Effie. Now, personally, I wouldn't have trusted her ever again. But considering the circumstances, Tariq ain't got much of a choice. And him and Lauren broke up at this point in time which brings me to this point r.i.p to lauren r.i.p to carrie milgram the professor r.i.p to little guap even though he had that crap coming r.i.p to the gtg crew r.i.p to kato r.i.p to the bsk crew now after effie talks some sense into him Tariq decides to bring Brayden into the loop and let him know everything that's been going on. So it's like, yeah, I'm gonna need you to get close to the cane so he can never catch us off guard like that again. Now, Kane, he pissed me the hell off. Of all the people to run down on and threaten, the lawyer, the lawyer, man, it cracked me up, even though he was masked up. The lawyer said, Count Davis McLean said, tell your mother I said hello, Kane, and drove off. That was hilarious. It just goes to show you he does not think. If you need someone to die and never to be seen or heard from again, you call Kane. If you need someone to come up with a strategy, you don't call Kane. And even Drew, out of anger, said it. He said, you're just a guard dog. And those two ended up fighting because of his boyfriend, Everett, who... Monet does not like but Lorenzo surprised me he was actually cool with it He's a, and that's a real father because when 
Monet was trying to tell him that, like, oh, Drew is gay, when she said, your son has a weakness that you need to know about, he's like, I know what my son is, I peep game at the party, are those two messing around? So, it goes to show you that Lorenzo knows a lot more than he says, because, come on, he's been in jail for 10 years, I think he knows when two guys are interested in each other, I think he knows, he would notice that, but man, the last three episodes are building up to something big. I cannot wait for the season finale because Monet, because Monet and Kane finally know who Mecca, aka Dante, is. Because a robbery took place because um, Monet and Kane were cut off from Mecca's supply. So Tariq orchestrated a robbery while he was still on Lojack, and everybody was involved. And Mecca finally figured it out. So he went to confront Tariq and come to find out, Mecca is the king snitch. He is a ratatouille. Like this dude tells on everybody. And it is revealed, and this was a beautiful Easter egg, and I love how this was was set up. And the fans predicted this. The fans predicted that Mecca, aka Dante Cross, would be connected to Ghost and the original series and somehow turns out he used to be he's a mercenary that used to work for Lobos the guy who was supplying Ghost with his work and he said he was going to tell on Lobos but unfortunately he didn't get the opportunity because Ghost and Tommy took him out so he said to Tariq because Tariq found out that he's a snitch and is extorting him for a guy who can't fight, he sure knows how to put people in his place, in their place. He basically told Tariq, when you see your dad in hell, tell him I said good looking out. Warning Tariq, the last time someone told you something like that, you ended up in jail and on trial for two murders. He basically told you that at some point in time, he's going to make an attempt on your life. So you might want to make sure this guy dies. Speaking of Mr. Cross, poor Zeke. He finds out that not only Monet is not his aunt, but his mother, he finds out that he's not 19. He's 23. Could you imagine being in the first grade and you're supposed to be in the third grade? In the third or the fourth grade? Like, oh my God. And people are just like, oh, he's big for his age? Oh, come on. And somehow this becomes public knowledge, so all of his draft prospects go out the window. So basketball is over for this guy. This is why lies come always come out. So because of this, he's no longer eligible for the L- the NF um the NBA because the Sacramento Kings were interested in him. Keyword inch were. So that means he can't stay in school anymore because he's no longer he can't play ball for them anymore because he's 23, which sucks. So I'm interested to see what happens in the season finale. I'm going to review that. So when we come back, I'm going to review a TV show that I stumbled on to by chance called The Cleaning Lady. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. So in this segment, I wanted to review season one of The Cleaning Lady. It's a new series that comes on Monday at 9 o'clock on Fox. Now, the story takes place 
in Las Vegas. It's it's about a woman named Tony. Um, her name is not spelled T O N O N Y. Her name is spelled T H O N Y. She is a woman from the Philippines, um, Cambodia, to be more exact, more precise. And she lives with her her sister-in-law Fiona. And unfortunately for the both, well, let me before I get into that, let me talk about what she does. By trade, she is a surgeon and a doctor. But unfortunately, because of her immigration status here in America, here in America, she is forced to be a cleaning lady for hotels, parties, etc. The main reason she came to America in the first place because her son has immunity deficiency. In layman's terms, the kid has no immune system, so he's a bubble boy. He has to live in a bubble. And the poor kid, when he comes outside, he has to wear, like, a costume, like, makeshift, uh, what you call it, astronaut suit. Which, to some kids, it's cool, but for him, like, his life literally depends on it. So, what's the significance of this story? Well, Tony, as I'm gonna call her... She was cleaning up for this guy that she regularly she does regular work from regular work for because she's like an independent contractor when she does cleaning and she happened to be doing some cleaning work for a guy who runs an under underground fight ring and the guy she and him had a good pretty good relationship and he would ask her for advice on like you know how to do this or that like they you know talk to each other the relationship was very respectful come to find out the fight that he had his fighter which is an all-female fight underground fight club which is illegal i might add he arranged for her she was supposed to take a dive but at the last minute she went against the grain and won the fight so not only did he lose money but the people he told she would lose the fight they lost money enter the armenian gangsters and the son of the leader kills him right on the spot unfortunately tony was there and she witnessed this but she was hiding and the right hand man to the right hand man luca saw her now for those of you who remember luca he used to play Ramon, um, Ramos on Sons of Anarchy as well as Mayans MC because they heard her phone vibrating, so they cornered her. Enter, we meet Armand. So she basically talks her way out of getting executed on the spot because, hey, you witnessed a gangster execution. Well, it wasn't an execution because the son of the leader wasn't supposed to do that. So they were just cleaning up her mess and she cleaned it up literally to the point as if it didn't happen. So now she ineffectively works for them. Armand said, you know, work for me because it's his only way. It's his only way of protecting her because if they let her walk away, she could potentially, you know, rat them out because the feds were investigating them. She did a few cleaning jobs for them here and there, here and there, and unfortunately for her, at the ending of the first episode, because of what happened, word got back to the big boss, so he decided to clean house. 
literally by blowing up a warehouse. And for those of you who don't know, a big explosion like that brings who? Those guys from the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, who have a very strong presence in Las Vegas, hint, hint, and other major cities around the world. So a blast like that, they're definitely going to come around. And what do they do? They start watching poor Tony. Enter Agent um, Garrett Miller. So, this guy, apparently, I'm just doing a run-through of the first couple of episodes, people, so you're going to have to get me. Simultaneously, her sister-in-law, Fiona, she reveals to her son, Chris, that he was not a born American citizen, when in fact, he is an immigrant. So, she is trying to get up money to pay for his lawyers to start his DACA process. What I like about the show, even though it's somewhat fictional, it's showing the reality of what it's like to be an undocumented undocumented immigrant in America. People treat you like crap. They feel they can do with what they want because as far as they're concerned, you have no right. So who are you going to tell? Which brings me to Tony. Agent Miller is aware that she is an undocumented immigrant and he's investigating Armand and his boss. And I don't like what he's doing. Now, technically, she didn't sign any paperwork, so she's not obligating to them. But because of her son being immune, because needing the procedure, as well as her immigration status, he basically has her over the barrel. So he ha- she has no choice but to do as he says. But I don't see him, I don't foresee him having that stick over her head for long. Here's why. In the last episode... He, he got dirt on Armand through their one of their political people that they had their hands in his pockets. Eric Knight, played by Jay Mora. You might have seen him in a lot of teenage movies. Eric Knight. So, Eric Knight is one of the donors take took some kickbacks from Armand's organization. So, because of the fact that they got Tony to drop some listening devices around where they had meetings at their establishment in Vegas they were able to get warrants to search his places so they took the laptop that so she got a hold of the laptop that would have had a lot of incriminating evidence on not just him but other people but but the reason why they had to get that from him because well Political dudes like Eric Knight definitely will throw you under the bus just to save their own ass. Just so you know. And during his meeting, because the idea was to flip Mr. Knight once they got dirt on him. But because he got shanked in prison, now they're solely reliant on Tony. So the preview for next week's episode shows that Tony and Fiona are at work. Oh yeah, speaking of Fiona, because of the situation and her immigration status, as well as her sons, she's a cleaning lady, so she doesn't really have money for lawyer fees. So she links up with this guy who runs a club, and she decides to push ecstasy for him, which wouldn't be too hard in a place like Las Vegas. But that's going to come back to haunt her, I'm predicting. So far, I like the show. So I'm looking forward to the next episode, because the next episode shows their worst nightmare coming to reality. 
they get raided. Her job gets raided by ICE. The main character's job gets raided by ICE, and they're all captured. So now, Agent Miller has her over a barrel where either you do as I say, or you definitely will be deported. But little does she know, he actually needs her way more than she needs him. Well, they both basically need each other. Because if she gets deported, her kid does not get the treatment that he needs. And he will die without it. So, this is my prediction. Armand has romantic feelings for her, but he is married to this girl named Isabel. No, he has feelings for this girl who just got married to somebody else. But he has a girlfriend who does not like Leon, who does not like Tony. So I see this becoming a powder keg. So that's my over review of The Clean Lady. It comes on Fox on Mondays at 9 p.m. So when we come back, I'm going to review the latest trailers for Power, Book 4, Force, and Snowfall. And we're back, so we are going to get into some trailer reviews. So, the trailer for the new season of Snowfall, I believe season 5. And boy, a lot has happened. If you remember the previous season, um, Franklin was recovering from gunshots given to him from his now ex-girlfriend. Well, at the end of of the last season, he dropped the cane and he walked on his own. So, from what the trailer implies, he has got, his empire has expanded bigger. It looks like he's removed most of his rivals, so he's going up against his, he's going up against the good old arm of the law. So, I'm interested to see, oh yes, and he has got some girl pregnant, and He's going to be a papa now. So let's see how that's going to play out. And that should be coming later on this month. Now, we are seeing more trailers from Power Book 4, Force. The much anticipated Power Book Force, which is supposed to be coming to us very soon. After the season finale of season 2 of Book 2. So we've gotten more insight into what Tommy has been up to since his departure from New York and people believing him to be dead. He gets linked up with a crime, a new crime family and you have another group, a group in Chicago. He puts down roots in Chicago and it's same thing, new territory, new, new territory, new players, same Tommy. Only this time, Tommy doesn't have someone to rein him in. It basically rein him in, I mean ghost. So, no ghost, that means Tommy is full force, all out, going to be doing what he's going to do. So I'm interested to see how Power Book 4 Force plays out. And we finally get a trailer for the Netflix series Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is supposed to pick up years after the events of the movie happen, of the movies happen, and one survivor is still alive and she is going to combat Leatherface aka Tommy but here's the thing though but here's what I'm wondering but here's the thing one survivor who survived the massacre 
is coming to combat Tommy. So this sounds similar to the storyline of the most recent Halloween films. Some of the five survivors are coming to, con to confront the slasher. So let's see how that plays out, ladies and gentlemen. So, we got those trailers out of the way. So when we come back, I am going to review the 2020... Oh, before I go, tomorrow was the opening ceremonies for the 2022 Winter Olympics. And I am excited for this year's Winter Olympics, not just because the pandemic pushed it back an extra year and we've been inside cooped up, so we couldn't really see these events how we wanted to see them. But for the first time in history, Jamaica has is involved in more than one event. Not only are they competing in the four-man bobsled team, but the, but they're performing. They're competing in the three-man bobsled team and the luge, which is one person on the sled. So, for those of you who do not know, Cool Runnings is based on true events, even though it was a comedy film. As well as, for the first time ever... Jamaica has its first ice hockey team, so I'm watching to see how they will be treated as well as how things will go over. So you will, so you can look forward to my color commentary on the upcoming days with the events of the Winter Games. So when we come back in my next segment, speaking of events, I'm going to review for the first time on this podcast. I'm going to review a wrestling pay-per-view pay event, which is, I'm going to review WWE's 2022 Annual Royal Rumble. And we're back. So in this segment, I'm going to go over the 2022 Annual WWE Royal Rumble match. Royal Rumble, sorry. Now... It had its hits and it had its misses. It had our surpri it had surprises at the same time it had letdowns. So let's start off with what I liked, what I didn't like, and what should have happened and what did happen. So first and foremost, let's start off with the match that I thought that they would have saved for later on on the card. Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins. Now, the buildup for this match has been pretty cool. If you guys notice, it's like they were trying to do a comparison of Seth Rollins is the Joker and Roman Reigns is the Batman. So, Roman Reigns comes out first. He does his tribal chief thing, ready for the match. And instead of hearing Burn It Down, we hear the old school Shield um, entrance music. And there is Seth Rollins in the crowd wearing his Shield wrestling gear. That was a mind Oh my god, that was probably the biggest pop, one of the biggest pops of the night. So the match goes on, and Seth Rollins is pulling out moves that we haven't seen him do in a while, which includes the Falcon Arrow, Phoenix Flash. So we thought because of his almost near, near career-ending knee injury, that we would never, we the fans would never see him pull that move off again. Well... We were wrong, because we did see it again. But it was a miss, and he landed on his feet. So the, the match turned out to be a turned into a DQ, because Roman Reigns choked him out and did not let him go. So that match was, I get that match, uh, 
I give it a 7 out of 10 because it should have been a definitive win. Now, let's move on to the Women's Royal Rumble match. Some people would argue that it was the best match of the night. And it's kind of hard to refute that. We got a lot of surprise entries that we did not see coming. Like, for one, Melina. Now, Melina, she didn't part, w to part terms with WWE on my part ways with WWE on good terms. As rumor has it, I don't know how true it is, so don't quote me. But she was looking good, looking good in the ring. My, my critique is she was eliminated too quickly. That was just my critique. Sasha Banks came out with the cosplay. Every year at the Royal Rumble, she comes out with interesting gear. This year, she did Sailor Moon, and I liked it. She did, it was done well. It was executed well. My compliments to the designer for her, her wrestling gear. So, because of the dirt sheet and the internet, they exposed what should have been surprises. Now, this is where I feel... This is, I feel these spots were wasted. The Bella Twins. Now, personally, the Bella Twins, in my opinion, shouldn't have been in the match. This is just my opinion. But they are, quote-unquote, WWE alumni. WWE alumni, so it's not up to me entirely. They should have used it for those spots for a return or to bring somebody up from NXT, whoever they can find. Like, me personally... One of those spots should have went to Alexa Bliss, or Bailey, or dare I say Lacey, Lacey Evans. But anyway, it happens. So one of the surprises, for one of the more pleasant surprises that I did not see coming, Ronda Rousey makes her miraculous return to the WWE. A return that I did not see coming. And personally speaking, she looks good. She looks good. But who didn't look good was Alicia Fox. Like, she lost a lot of weight. And she... I don't know. I liked her. I always liked her as a wrestler a lot more than most other superstars. But that's neither here nor there. So the Women's Royal Rumble match wins with Ronda... Ends with Ronda Rousey at... Ronda Rousey as the winner. So I give the Women's Royal Rumble a 10 out of 10 because it was worth your while. It was worth the, the, the watch. It was worth a watch. Me personally. Now, person, now, it has been confirmed that originally the WWE wanted Nia Jax to make an appearance in the Royal Rumble, but she turned it down because of how she was treated towards her dismissal from the WWE. Which would have, I would have loved to see her make a return. That was a missed opportunity by WWE, but hey, you live, you learn. So, let's move on to the match that I wanted to see. And I've been saying it since 20 years ago, but hey, better late than never. We finally got to see Superman versus Superman, no kryptonite. The Hulk versus Doomsday. We finally got to see Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. Now, a lot of people say the match was underwhelming. It, to me, I enjoyed it because it's every. I predicted every move, move for move. They locked up. Nobody could. None could overpower the other because both part.
parties are used to being the one that is the stronger in the ring. So they didn't, they're, neither one are used to dealing with someone who has equal strength. But the ending of the match is what really got me. And I, the reason why I enjoyed the match was the ending. Out of nowhere, Roman Reigns comes and spears Brock Lesnar to hell. And Paul Heyman hands him the title and knocks out Brock Lesnar for Bobby Lashley to get the win and to retain and to become a two-time WWE champion. Now, Paul Heyman, he's like, dang, dude, you got no loyalty? <laughs> What's going on here, player? Like, you got no loyalty to, to anyone, huh? Because I, we all knew that Paul Heyman was going to double-cross somebody. The question is who? Because we've seen him double-cross Brock Lesnar on multiple occasions. So, I give that match... I give that match a 6 out of 10 because I wanted to see a definitive, like, a fight to the finish. But it has been revealed that... Well, let me not get to that yet. So, here comes the men's... Royal, oh, yeah, before I forget... There were a lot of cameo appearances in the Women's Royal Rumble. From Ivory to Lita to Molly Holly, a.k.a. Mighty Molly. And Nikki, Nikki Cross, or Nikki Ash, beats her to hell and tells her there can only be one superhero in WWE. That just actually made me fall out laughing. But that's neither here nor there. So now we're moving on to the main event, which is the Royal Rumble match. Now, my personal overall pick was eliminated so quick. <laughs> I was I was like, oh my god, what 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 the hell is going on here? So Johnny Knoxville got into the match, and of course they beat him to hell, and was eliminated by Sami Zayn, which we all knew was going to happen. Now, Kofi Kingston was one of my personal favorites to win. And we all have said Kofi Kingston is the MVP of um, non-elimination. He's the MVP of that. And I... And because of what happened, it was a botch. So they, when he landed on the barricade, they said, yeah, both his feet touched the ground. So there he went. So he was out. So overall, number 30 was very disappointing to see Brock Lesnar win the Royal Rumble. I mean, I personally didn't see it. Like, I predicted it, but... Because originally, rumor has it that... Um, the original bro, Matt Riddle, was supposed to win the Royal Rumble. Which would have made way more sense, but it didn't happen. A lot of people were complaining about this year's Royal Rumble. There were some things that... Oh, yeah, before I get to that. Like, Naomi. Like, the storyline is good, but come on. Enough is enough. We had Cameron, her old tag team partner from the Funkadahoos, and she was looking good. <laughs> now, I'm interested to see where that storyline is going to go with her and Sony Deville because they put on a good match last Friday. But rumor has it, 
that the morale in the locker room is at an all-time low. And I couldn't help but notice neither tag team championship was defended at the Royal Rumble. The Intercontinental Championship wasn't even defended. So, WWE, I don't know who your writers are, but you should fire them. And Shane McMahon made a miraculous appearance, and he was fired because he got into it because of the appearance of Bad Bunny in the Royal Rumble. Now, a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but Bad Bunny actually can wrestle. The guy can actually wrestle, and he should consider a wrestling career because the guy, he just needs to put on a little bit more muscle, and he should do it. I would. So, anyway, I give the Royal Rumble, the overall Royal Rumble, I give it a 7.5. Hopefully, the Elimination Chamber will be much better, and we can get more out of that. WWE, tighten up over there. So, when we come back, I'm going to review a show that I recently got into, Firebite. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. In this segment, I wanted to go over the latest TV show on that is available on AMC Plus called Firebite. Firebite, sorry. It is centered in Australia, where a group of Aborigine people fight off vampire hordes in the in the outbacks of Australia. So the main characters are Tyson and Shanika. Tyson played by Rob Collins and Shanika played by Shantae Barnes. Basically, um, Tyson is a professional vampire hunter. He was being trained to be a um, vampire hunter that is called a blood hunter. Now, blood hunters are the traditional Aborigine tribe people that when vampires first came to Australia, they would hunt them. And the only way to kill said vampire is a boomerang to the heart. Really? But anyway, moving on. So, Tyson, it is revealed that Tyson, that um, Tyson is not Shanika's biological father, I think. Well, we'll learn that I'm not sure I speculate but her mother is was taken but Shanika's mother was taken during a vampire attack now these vampires are much different from the ones we've seen in the media before there's nothing sexy about them just I'm just letting you know they live in holes in the ground now traditional blood hunters what they would do is they would go down into those tunnels and hunt the vampires but Tyson he fought against it but he's a blood hunter, but he's not really a blood hunter. But he was never really inducted as a blood hunter. One of his allies comes from the encampment. Her name is Kitty Sinclair. I guess she's an on-again, on off-again love, love interest. So the story picks up with the vampire king, the very last vampire king, coming back into town. So people are starting to disappear. They mostly... They mostly, the vampires mostly take people from the ab, aborigine neighborhoods because 
it is blatant because they figured, okay, we'll take these people because mainstream society won't miss them. And the show addresses racism in, in Australia because the Aborigines do identify as black people, believe it or not. It's a really good show. You have another older character named Aunt Marie. She's aware of the attacks and she knows about blood hunters. In fact, she's a vampire hunter herself, but she's up there in age. So the very last vampire hunter comes to town because he's aware that the vampire king is there. The very last blood hunter comes to town. So Shanika keeps asking about her mother, like what happened to her? Is she dead or is she alive? Come to find out Shanika's mom is alive. She's being kept as what's called a bleeder. What a bleeder is, is when these vampires kidnap people and bring them down, they don't necessarily kill them. They keep them alive and droop and drain them of blood, drain them from blood over time. So that's what became of Shanika's mother. So come to find out, Tyson drinks at a certain bar. Unbeknownst to him, the bar owner that is called Spud, he's in league with the vampires. And he unknowingly hires a vampire called Eleanor. Eleonora, who was personally turned by the vampire, the current vampire king, whose name we don't know. Um, the actor is Callan Mulliver. We've seen him in 300 Rise of an Empire. And he was the guy that had the blowtorch in Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. The character Eleonora is played by Yeti, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, Yeti Stone. You might have seen her on Orange is the New Black. She was an Italian girl who thought she was pregnant, actually was pregnant. Yeah. So the whole time she was a vampire and she and Tyson did sleep together. And she revealed herself later on because she has a beef with the Vampire King. So, it's a worth your while watch. I recommend it to anyone. So the season finale is tomorrow. I'm going to watch it and review. In the last episode, Eleanor approached Tyson and Shanika and made them an offer. They will help her get Shanika, she'll help them get Shanika's mom and she'll let them have her if they kill the Vampire King. Well, obviously that plan backfired and Eleonora double-crossed them because they did go down and try to rescue, um, they did try, the two of them tried to go down and rescue, um, Shanika's mother. During that failed rescue, Shanika did stab the, um, Vampire King close to the heart with a boomerang but she missed so when they did get the mother and they were almost out of the hole the vampire king jumped up and grabbed her grabbed the mother and took her back and hooked her back up so it was like oh we did all of that for nothing so Eleanor cut him a deal cut the two of them a deal but she double crossed them but the mother was strong enough and during that double cross, when Tyson and Shanika were captured, Aunt, Aunt Marie and her brother at the, at the community, at the Aboriginal community, were attacked by the Vampire King. 
and his vampires because they were looking for Tyson and Shanika for retaliation for the rescue attempt. But they didn't know that Eleonora had already captured them. So a few people got killed as a result. So Kitty Sinclair, so Kitty, she went to go, she went to the bar and confronted Spud and Spud basically pushed her into one of the tunnels and locked her in hoping the vampires would kill her. But that's not what happened. So amongst the escape, they did find, this time around, they did get Shanika's mom, Kitty, and Shanika escaped. But unfortunately, Tyson had to stay behind to make sure they escaped. And he paid the ultimate price. So basically, the, sh the name for the show, Firebite, it's, that's what's called when a vampire bites you when you're on the brink of death. They say it burns. And that's how you get turned. So Tyson gave Shanika specific instructions that he is, if he is ever bitten, don't let him get turned. Don't not let him turn. Put him out of his misery once and forever. So I'm interested to see what happens in the next episode, which is the season finale. And during the escape, Auntie Marie's brother blew up, threw a bomb down the hole because the last blood hunter, he had all types of equipment that he used to hunt vampires, but he was the last, they thought he was the last one. So basically, Shanika is officially the last blood hunter because of what happened to Tyson. He is seemingly turned. So let's see what happens tomorrow for the season finale. I'm going to end this episode here. Join me next time, ladies and gentlemen. I have two episodes coming up. The first episode is going to be Black History Month in respect of Black History Month, the unsung heroes of Black History Part 2. I talk more about the black heroes of Black History Month that have contributed, but most people don't know who they are. And after that, I'm going to do a women's forum where I'm going to have ladies come and we talk about certain things like entrepreneurship and the things that everyday women put up with and they do they do and don't like so on that episode we're going to hear some familiar we're going to have some familiar cast members familiar guests as well as some new ones so until next time people rage against the machine always seek truth love peace and chicken grease deuces